This is the Thinking Christian Podcast with Paul and Cam, two friends seeking to better understand their faith, their God, and attempting to help you do the same. What's up, guys? Welcome to the first episode of the Christian Thinking Podcast. My name's Cam. What's up? What's up? I am Paul. Man, it is so glad yep. to start this. It is so glad. I mean, I am so glad to start this with my buddy yeah, Cam. Yeah, man. We're excited. We're here to, to just kind of think about some things, talk about some things as Christians. That's uh, right. And, we're thinking you know, Christians, man. Yeah. We hope you are too. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're excited for the first episode. We're here today, um, and we're just going to get right into it. The topic of the day, uh, I'll let Paul kind of introduced that. Oh, so the topic of the day is the doctrines of salvation. Uh-oh. So what we're doing this for, because I know this could be so uh, animosity. I don't think that's yeah. the right word together, but it could be so like strenuous and tough and tension Polarizing. between people. Polarizing. That's yeah. a good word, Cam. <laughs> it can be. But really, we want to discuss this because it seems to be the framework by which many people think about salvation. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to go through each of these because you may not know them or you may know them really well. Yeah. But we're going to discuss them in both perspectives of Armenianism, which basically is something that we'll talk about, (laughs) and then Calvinism, which is basically something we'll talk about. But we'll also give a middle ground in which we should all be thinking about these, regardless of which camp you are on. So, yeah. uh, Yeah, and And so, like, both of us, we're Calvinists. We got to put that out there. Now he's he's speaking for me, huh? He's speaking (laughs) for me. Now I'm just playing, though. Yes. Yeah. So both of us believe in the five points, but we're we're not— Calvinists who think we're right on everything. Um, we're just trying to trying to look at these perspectives, and we do think Armenians are Christians. We're not <laughs> we we're not one of those people. Uh, we're not those kind of people. So um, we're gonna try to treat everyone fairly today and give a fair yeah, shake to everyone. Definitely, definitely, man. And this comes with a little history, though, man. I don't know yeah. if you know the history. You know the history. I I know a little bit, but not not yeah. as much as you. <laughs> so uh, the history is that there was a guy, obviously named Calvin, who wrote an institute or the institutes which is a great volume of reading that you should definitely check out mm-hmm. if you have not man they are uh, some really thoughtful points on christianity how we should live what what the bible says about certain things the doctrine of god has all this stuff in it well after that there's a couple of uh uh denominations that it sprouted from that they all went to yeah. geneva and hung out with calvin under his teaching and <laughs> yeah. studying man yep. and they started a presbyterian church i think mm-hmm. that's over in uh Scotland, something like that. Yeah. Scotland, that's right? Yeah, it's okay. in Scotland. It's okay, Scotland, yeah. So, And then they had a big old thing called the Westminster Confession. Yeah. And the Westminster Confession, man, kind of laid out the groundwork for how we're to think about God, mm-hmm. Jesus, the Bible, Scripture, community, church. It's like a big thing of church life, yeah. polity, living. It's, it's a really uh, monstrous work with a lot yeah. of Scripture, a lot of thought. During a time in which the church was doing some crazy things because of the Catholic Church, you oh, know man. what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, after that, there's a guy named Jacobus Arminius, Jacobus. and he decided. Well, I don't know if he decided. Maybe it was God had pressed upon his heart a desire to look at the uh, uh, these doctrines in which. Uh, the Westminster Confession had fleshed out through the teachings of Calvin. And whenever he looked at those things, he thought some of these teachings may not be square with Scripture. And so 
After that, he began his own type of uh, schooling. Yeah. And then after he passed away, the, the, the people of his schooling wanted to go ahead and and change some of the teachings that they believe the Westminster Confession uh, had said. And this is called the Remonstrance yeah. uh, uh, Confessions, I yeah. think. The Remonstrance yeah, Confessions. Yeah. yeah. And so with that, they came up with five amendments. Five and in these five articles, it spoke to what the five doctrines of grace that we're about to talk about. See, the doctrines of grace, these five points of Calvinism, came up as a response yeah. to what the remonstrance had did. And these five topics are Tulip and my man Cam. What are the what are the five points, man? Yeah, so it's uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints or sometimes what i call preservation of the saints whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. first we're just going to use what uh is typically yeah understood as it yeah. because yeah it's uh pre- perseverance of the saints yeah. yep yeah because i mean i'll i'll use a little bit of different names but we yeah, can get into me that too. i will use some different yeah. lang- language myself mm. so so kind of what i, I want to start off is like who what is a calvinist or who are calvinists and and who are Arminians? like what do they believe what are we trying to trying to figure out between each side okay well uh first off i want to even back back even further Mm -hmm. should we even be calling ourselves calvinists armenians aren't we just christians yeah i mean that that is a good point so we're we're both christians We, we both believe in Mm-hmm. Large parts of the Westminster Confession. I mean, Jacobus Arminius ha- ha- found five things that he disagreed with in the Belgic Confession. <laughs> yeah, but the huge thing. It's that's huge. that's, yeah, that's a, a big old large dark, part. Yeah. So, um, as far as you know, maintaining unity, we should believe that each side is a Christian. Yeah. Um, sure. But when we call ourselves Calvinist, um, spe- typically we're talking about soteriology, mm-hmm. um, and that's so. Right. You know, I I pr- prefer not to actually use Calvinist because I don't agree with everything he says. But what I do agree mm-hmm. with is his uh, basically his articles or or his disciples' points on uh, soteriology. And so, when we're talking about soteriology, I think it is helpful at least to give us kind of a distinctive between well, this is this side and this is the other side. So mm-hmm. we're Calvinists and we're Armenians, but okay. um, so, so I you, think it's kind of helpful. But what do you think? So you think that uh, the name uh, that we use, Calvinists and Armenians, is kind of just to distinguish our ideas of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, and you know, Calvinists get a bad rap, uh, rightfully, way, <laughs> rightfully so, rightfully so. <laughs> there's there's a lot of people that uh, you know kind of twist the name, man. Yeah, twist the name of Calvinism and misuse it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it it helps to at least distinguish like oh so you're a calvinist okay that means you believe in the five points at the very least yeah for um, sure yeah so i think that uh we put these things in a box too much you know yeah. because um there are a lot of people the, there's a cuz i'm doing a, a study on pauline theology on each of these uh five points of yeah. the doctrines of grace and sometimes i've gotten i've gotten sometimes <laughs> i get uh uh you know uh, responses that say i'm neither i'm mm-hmm. not neither calvinist nor um, Armenian, because I think that uh, Armenians, which we'll get to f- in the future, have a yeah. lot of different things that maybe Baptist, uh, uh, mainly that I'm thinking of, mm. don't agree to. Yeah. But also, uh, there are things in Calvinism that Baptists don't agree yeah. to. And 
I'm not really sure of a name that they come up with. I know that some say they're traditionalists, but even others don't even claim that name. So I'm not even sure what kind of like area to put them in, but they're somewhere in the mm. spectrum. So I think it's very difficult to be using the words like this. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really difficult. But let's go ahead and talk about the first um, um, the first letter. Yeah. Total depravity. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I want to go into these is, like I said, I want us to understand salvation. Yeah. Salvation is, is, dude, it's the key. Mm-hmm. God is God, and yeah. we are men, and the yeah. only way that we can be reconciled to each other because of our sin is through the salvation of Jesus. Yeah. But what does this salvation entail, Cam? Yeah. That's the thing, man. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, our salvation entails a lot. Uh, you know, but specifically with with the doctrines of grace, uh, we're basically just trying to understand how that works. We're we're trying to understand though we uh, will never really understand any of it. Yeah. But what we will understand, yeah. we should understand. And I think you know, this is one of the the pieces of revelation that God has uh, uh, revealed to us, and through His Word and through His Scripture. And um, for sure, for sure. And so I think you know understanding where you stand on these points um because really we can talk about this later but really cal there there's not much else as far as the five points that you can say versus whether it's calvinism or arminianism Mm -hmm. um because they're two completely different views and there really is only kind of one side uh to to this and and so so what you're saying um, is like outside of the soteriology or doctrine of salvation such as like church discipline or uh maybe church doctrine uh maybe the uh revelation or not revelation but more like uh the way the end times come i guess mm. that's called eschatology things yeah. like that those things will be more aligned up yeah so um i mean yeah so we we I know I jumped off the tee because we were supposed to be. I was trying to tee you up. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> Total depravity. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah I kind of jumped off the subject when yeah. I went and talked about it because I know that you want others to realize that, that we're, we have more unity yeah. in these uh, doctrines yeah. than we do have disunity and that we should always land or fall on the side of unity. Yeah, and so, like, we can disagree, and I think we should disagree. If we're not, then we're not thinking clearly through these things because everyone's different. Everyone's going to have a different view of things. Um, uh, so we should seek to be unified in our differences, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can do that uh, when we realize just how much of— I mean, Arminius was literally—he was— Dutch reformed. Mm-hmm. He was still technically right. in the historical sense he was reformed. And so, you know, I think to try and build up these two sides, usually when there's a a bunch of debate happening and a bunch of just animosity towards each other, uh it tends to be build up straw men arguments instead of actually looking at what Arminius said, what Calvin said and and, yeah. and where we stand on these issues. And so Yeah, it is a big deal cuz I mm. remember uh when I was in uh, college and Yeah. They were, uh, I walk around, even though this this was back in my, what do they call it, Ra- cage rage days, man. Cage days, yeah. But I used to have uh, I used to have a shirt, man, it looked like Coca-Cola, except mm. it Calvinism on it, you know. Yeah. So people walk around, they look at it, and they'd be like, don't you know what he believes? Yeah, yeah. Don't you know what he taught? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, he taught the unadulterated gospel. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, people, Uh-oh. man, they be wigging out, man, on yeah. both sides. So yeah. it's a very difficult and tough subject. But right here, right now, we're going to break down yeah. and stop the debate. And we're going to talk about the truth. And you're going to hear it. And you're going to be like, yeah, yeah. you're and right. We're, and we're, we're not trying to build up any straw, man. I want to make that clear. We're trying to be fair to every side because we do believe that they're our brothers in Christ. And at the very least, they deserve that. Um, respect uh, yeah, and sure. that that understanding and a great book that we can get this from is Humble Calvinism by J. A. Manners. I mm, that sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> he actually <laughs> talks about that too. He actually it's not an oxymoron, but he actually specifically talks about that oh, issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and sure. basically he's saying like if you're a Calvinist, that this should humble you. It shouldn't you know build you up or make you prideful. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to give a fair shake to every side. and Humble Calvinist, the yeah. book. Yeah, check it out, man. I haven't read it. I'm yeah. going to have to pick it up myself. Yeah, J.A. Matters, Humble Calvinism. That's okay, a great cool, one. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, let's jump on the T then, man. What yeah. you got, man? Total depravity. Yeah, so, um, I mean, first of all, let's just go ahead and define it. Total depravity is definitely the idea that, you know, we're so corrupt in our sin. We're so, um, well, corrupted that, uh, you know, there's no way that we could ever save ourselves. None of our works could do anything to save ourselves. Um, You know, and this is actually a point that Arminius agrees with. uh, Oh, it is, man, yeah. The the five articles of faith, but... um, So I think that the big thing to me is, I think what we need to understand and take away from total depravity, Mm. which is, uh, because I'm going on common ground first, because even though we do talk about and understand total depravity in a similar way, we don't understand it in totality the same way. But the similar way, which everybody believes and any good Christian should understand, Mm. is that there is nothing that we can do to save us because we are completely and utterly sinful. And so the word total depravity, it just Mm. means that every single part of our being, the total part of our being Mm. is depraved. And depraved means sinful. And there is no piece of us Mm. that is good. Yeah. Now, it didn't mean that we are like uh, the worst we could ever be because oh, yeah. obviously uh, I haven't killed a million Jews <laughs> like Hitler. Yeah, and so well, I, six million. I, yeah, that, six yeah. million. Yeah, a, a bunch. Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch. Yeah. And so, and I will never do that. You know, a lot of times I say, I hope I won't do that, yeah. but that's something I'm sure I will never do. Yeah, Lord willing. <laughs> yeah, by God's <laughs> grace. But so we're not as uh, uh, we're not as evil as we could be. It just means yeah. that every single part of us is evil, yeah. and it also means. That because every single part of us is evil, that we will never choose to love God. We will never on our own love God. There's no way for us to ever turn and seek him or honor him or give glory to him with our own being. So that's the similarity between both sides of camps because this is a unified doctrine in Scripture. We see it in Romans. He says that no one We'll turn to God. No one loves God. We also see it in um, Ephesians, man. It says that we are all enemies of God, that we were dead in our trespasses. Mm-hmm. So we see that in Scripture abundantly. Yeah. But the difference falls where? Where's the difference at? Cam, what's the difference? Why Why do we have such a, 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 a difference between both Armenianism and Calvinism, man. Yeah, so it's basically the other four points. Uh, the other, <laughs> the other four articles. Now, 
in the actual um, five articles of the Romanstrants, mm-hmm. uh, the one that they didn't totally understand at the, by that point was uh, preservation of the saints or perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, they they didn't know if it was conditional or not. Um, so you have to go further to somewhere between 1610 when it came out and 1618 uh, to 17 um, when the Canons of Dort happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere in that they got the full persuasion of mine, as they say, uh, to mm. um, to believe in that. But basically, I guess we can start off with uh, unconditional versus conditional. Let's go back, let's go back to total depravity. One yeah. second, man, one second. All right. So I think also a big thing in total depravity is also the means by which we can come to God. Mm. Because even though this is moving on, because this does go on to unconditional relation, which we're about to talk about, yeah. because it talks about the grace of God. But how do we uh, uh, come to this understanding that we can can choose God because I think the the big thing that the 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 people who are against Calvinism mm. with the T and total depravity mm. is they really say that it's called total inability. Mm. You ever heard that? You ever uh, heard people say that about y- it? Yeah, I've heard different versions of that, but I think that kind of sums it up well. Yeah, so total inability to them is saying that, just like I said earlier, that there is no way that we could ever choose God. Yeah. So total inability is saying that we will never choose God, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. But I did just say that about the other side saying that too. Yeah. But the belief to them is that uh, uh, that there's something called prevenient grace. Yeah. And prevenient means that it opens up the human heart or will to be able to desire God. Mm-hmm. So whenever... Um, Whenever this is actually not, I don't know. I, I I don't want to go and confuse anybody, but I'm not sure in my own reading mm-hmm. that this has come from scripture. Like what verses could be, except say for the fact that God's will is to desire for all to come to Him. Yeah. But uh, prevenient grace is something that opens up the heart to be able to choose God, to desire God. So what you're saying is prevenient grace uh, is this idea that. Um, before we choose God, uh, God in his sovereignty uh, works in us to, to make us want to. Uh, yeah, Is that basically what yeah, that, that's basically Yeah, that's basically it because um, the way that is the way in which the inability is ceased. Mm. So for the Calvinists, the only way that you can come to him is if God specifically moves in you to turn you to him mm-hmm. which he will yeah. which is in the other points yeah. but for the armenian side is that god would move a grace towards you mm-hmm. that would open you up to have a desire to go to him yeah and then uh i think there's even one more way and i don't think that it deals specifically with prevenient grace but it mm-hmm. deals because i just talked to a brother about this the other day right. uh i was uh, i was outside classroom and i was talking to him about some different things yeah. which Man, it's so fascinating, and I'll talk to you about it later, and hopefully he'll be on the show sometime, so uh, we'll be able to talk to him. But uh, either this one or another one I'm doing, so check that out. That's a plug. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, and he was just talking about how that it's not just prevenient grace where God opens up the heart because he doesn't actually ascribe to prevenient grace, and he doesn't prescribe to um, irresistible grace, which we'll talk about later and Mm. what we're talking about in total depravity as well. But he subscribes to what is called general grace revelation and so general revelation is that god reveals himself in nature he reveals himself 
by it's Romans one basically. Yeah. It's where you see God in the trees, the stars, the mm-hmm. moon, the sky, and that He reveals Himself in that, and so we know God. And by mm-hmm. that very fact, that we should be able to come to Him, and then added on is special revelation. And so because of special revelation and general revelation, these two things working hand to hand, they allow for um, they allow for a person will to be turned to God, to be able to uh, desire God, to be able to to love God. So it's um, that that's another way. It's not that either there's irresistible grace that turns a man to God or there is a prevenient grace that opens up all the hearts to God. But uh, there is revelation. So I'm a little confused. Uh, how is that? First of all, I'm, I'm wondering how that how that has anything to do with prevenient or irresistible grace, because it seems like, you know, that's that's a different aspect, because I believe in general revelation yeah, and sure. special revelation. So the thing but, is, is that the reason it's different from um, prevenient grace or irresistible grace mm. is because for the person who uh, hears this or sees this, it's not. So prevenient grace is just a grace that just uh, uh, flows over everyone in order for them to be susceptible to having a desire for God. While, uh, and I forgot, actually he calls it common grace, I guess. And so common grace is something that is not specifically for salvation. Mm. So prevenient grace is understood to be specific. Oh, I just bumped my mic. Mm. Specific for a person to uh, come to know God, while common grace has different meanings. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be specific for salvation. Well, that is the difference, is that this common grace, revelation, and um, um, the revelation, and um, I can't even remember the other name, but those things are there to turn the heart to God, but they're not just there for salvation. Does that make sense? Well, so so what? Because I still believe in common grace too. Like God, um, and I, I believe this actually does fall under the atonement a little bit. Is that um, to the unbeliever, there's still graces that have been bestowed upon them, like being able to be married and being able to have the joy of having kids. Um, you know, yeah. and and uh, being able to live basically, because mm-hmm. you know, technically we. All should be smited down. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, but me, you know, of course, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't know. So, it, it seems like it's it's almost missing the point of like the difference between irresistible and prevenient grace, because um, you know that doesn't seem specific in soteriology, and it doesn't seem because I still believe that too, but it doesn't seem to to actually get to the point of within soteriology, how does grace work? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I think the thing that maybe is not the point that is not getting across to you is that for, um, and it may not, maybe I'm not understanding you correctly as well though, but is that, uh, irresistible grace mm-hmm. is, you know, what irresistible grace is that when God calls a person to salvation, then they will go. Yeah. It's an effectual calling. And then, um, we have prevenient grace mm-hmm. is that God opens up the heart for everyone to, and it's specifically grace unto salvation, which we'll talk about in uh, Irresistible Grace because I think it's, under, it's it should be understood that this is a specific type of grace. Mm-hmm. And then this other common grace is just not a specific type of grace, but it is the grace that can lead someone to either choose 
to follow God by them recognizing that having a family is an understanding that there is a God or having uh, children, which is having a family, is understanding or being able to live and breathe is understanding that there is a God and that he has come to save you. You know, things like that. And then there's like also uh, just the gospel being preached, the word of God being told to them is a special type of grace that calls on you, but it only comes by the mean, like by common revelatory uh, means or natural means that it is not specifically a grace that is poured upon every human being mm. to open up their heart to salvation. See, that's what prevenient grace is, is one type of grace that comes through the, all of man from birth. Mm. When they, when they are born into this world, they have a grace, prevenient grace that pours out upon them. While for the common grace, it's only whenever they hear that they can have that understanding of who God is or only when they see uh, the, the creation and it then that opens up to them the ability to seek after God because they because God has revealed himself to them. While prevenient grace is him specifically revealing himself as savior salvation uh, specifically not I'm sorry not revealing himself but giving you the ability to be able to choose him. So is it safe to say that basically um it seems like again I'm I'm just trying to understand it. It seems like uh what he's talking about is um specifically like the means of revelation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess you would say it's the means by which God calls men to himself. Okay. So then my question would be, in his view, what what is the heart doing? Like, what is happening to the heart? Um, is it being softened? softened? Is it being hardened? Yeah, it's and been. And how, how would it be that? Because it seems like the way he's trying to get around it, it seems like almost he's just trying to repackage prevenient grace um, in, mm-hmm. in a way. Because, you know, it seems like he's trying to get around it, but he's just doing a different topic altogether. Um, you know, that, that's just what it, what, based on how you've explained it, Mm -hmm. it seems like that's what he's, he's doing is, is, you know, almost missing the point of, of the difference between irresistible and prevenient grace. Cause Mm you know, it seems uh, prevenient grace is God working on the heart of a man to, um, to the point where that man wants to choose him and he does. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what. At least that's my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And so what you would say is that when, when you see common grace, when you have general revelation, um, that really is just talking about the means through which God changes the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I would, I would want to ask him, is he still making the choice? Because it, it seems like a different aspect of the means of revelation because, you know, the general revelation – uh, gets you to seek God, um, and then the special revelation is the thing that actually saves you um, mm-hmm. from that from that point of view. And it seems like when he's saying this, um, he's still not really addressing the issue of what is done to the man's heart, which I think is more so what irresistible and prevenient grace mm-hmm. are doing, is they're trying to get to, well, 
even if the man resists, it's still going. If he's called, he's going to call. So it's like the response of man to the call, almost. Um, so I guess maybe God. what you're saying is that uh, this character who has talked about common grace, which is what he would call it, uh, is that common grace should be lumped into prevenient grace. No, not necessarily, because the way he's defining it. Um, it seems like it's not the point of the issue. Um, so essentially what I'm saying is that prevenient grace and irresistible grace um, are altogether thinking of a different uh, subject. They're thinking of the heart where he's thinking about the means through which the heart has changed. Um, and so it seems like uh, – from from what I understand, he's he's missing the point of irresistible and prevenient grace, and that mm-hmm. um, you know he he's what's the point? So the point is how how does God work on man's heart? So essentially, irresistible grace is this idea. Uh, sorry, bump my mic. Um, is this idea that uh, if God calls you, it's going to happen. If something if God decrees something, it's going to happen. So whether uh, you can't resist His grace. If if he calls you, if he cho- chooses you before the end of time, then you're not able to resist his grace, and your heart's going to be softened because of that, and you're going to essentially follow and and come under that grace. Mm-hmm. Whereas prevenient grace is saying that, um, you know, it's working on the man, and then uh, you can resist the grace by not choosing it, uh, but you uh, you come under the grace when you choose to follow the Lord. Um, and so it, it still doesn't quite hit the point when he's talking about common grace and, uh, how natural revelation gets you to see God. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, disagree with that necessarily. I would Mm -hmm. say that natural revelation based on scripture actually does, uh, let us know who God is. Um, because, you know, Romans, uh, one eighteen through 20, essentially says, like, you know the Lord. Um, even the wicked know the Lord. They just suppress it by their own wickedness. Yeah, they suppress own. the truth, man. Yeah. So I guess the question is that uh, the thing is is that you are saying that though general revelation and all this other stuff is biblical, mm. while irresistible grace and uh, prevenient grace mm. may not be seen explicitly from scripture is that what you're saying no that's not that's not what i'm saying is it's what i'm saying is that they are dealing with a separate issue from what he's trying to get at what uh Um, the uh so you're saying these reformers are dealing with a different issue than what um this other brother is trying to talk about yeah yeah because it seems like you know once again common grace um now the he way, could have said it better than me. I, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to give his point because yeah. I haven't really heard that form or that thought before, yeah. and so that's why it kind of intrigued me to think about how some believe it that way. Mm-hmm. Though I really think that a lot of people think about um, salvation in that way. They don't mm-hmm. think about an irresistible grace in which no one can turn from it versus a prevenient grace which uh, a person can resist. So mm-hmm. I don't think that they people think about it in that aspect, but they more think about it in this aspect of God's revelatory actions, which demonstrate who he is and calls a man to himself. And then they can either choose or not. So I think, uh, so I'm guessing that really the idea that you're saying about this 
is that, and I could be wrong, I'm just trying to figure this out myself yeah. as well, um, is that, uh, and then we'll move on because uh, yeah. this is basically taking up the I. Yeah. But anyway, so um, what, what we're saying is that these two graces are dealing with a specific idea, while there's other graces, the revelatory grace that God demonstrates is mm-hmm. maybe the means by which he, A, does irresistible grace mm-hmm. unto man and turns himself to him and that, well, see, I can't even explain that on my own self when I think about it because if he has a grace that's irresistible, mm-hmm. then that means that that grace has to be in a different category mm-hmm. than common grace. Yeah. While prevenient grace, the the revelation could be in the same category mm-hmm. as prevenient grace yeah. only because it is the means by which prevenient grace is acted mm. upon someone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because cause, common grace itself couldn't be, it would mm. be impossible for it to be irresistible grace because scripture talks about how common grace is on everyone because mm. it says it rains on the just and the unjust. That's what mm. Jesus says. But for prevenient grace, it could, because if it acts on everyone, prevenient grace acts on everyone. Mm. So prevenient grace either could be... Um, or I'm sorry, common grace would be lumped in with prevenient grace because it would only be like a means by which God does prevenient grace on a person. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically what you're trying to say yeah, is what, that they're missing that common grace. Yeah, it while it isn't prevenient grace, mm. but it is a mode by which prevenient grace can be acted upon. Yeah, the person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that does make make sense to think that the, that they're maybe they're not separate things, mm. but they're dealing with separate issues. Yeah, they're 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 an explanation of grace on or in separate ways. Yeah, um, yeah. for for different things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, let's go on because uh, we talked a whole lot, and I hope that uh, T total depravity. Like again, yeah. I want to re I want to re uh, surmise the importance of T is yeah. that no man can come to God. Mm. No man. And the only way they can come to God is either A, God opens up their heart to choose him, Mm. or B, that God puts upon them a grace that they can that they desire so much for him that it cannot be changed. So the main point is that there is no person that can choose God. And that everything about them, the totality of their being is mm. sinful. Yeah. That is the most important thing mm. that we should learn from this. Yeah. Now we're on to you. Unconditional yep. election. Mm. What does that mean? Oh, man. Well, why don't you go ahead and find it? All right. So we'll see uh, what you say. whenever I think about unconditional election, I want to think about it in the way that everyone should mm. think about unconditional election because I do know that there are going to be dempices because – that is why there is uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. <laughs> <laughs> but what we all believe yeah. as Christians is that there is no action by which we can be, quote unquote, chosen yeah. by God. Yeah. So there is no action by which we can gain salvation. Yeah, there's no condition uh for us to be elected um yes so we both believe that we both believe that there's no thing that we can do Mm. in order for god to be like i'm going to save you yeah you know what i'm saying there's nothing no action Mm. and so that means that both us believe that god is the primary actor in salvation okay so that's the biggest thing yeah 
but I know there are differences. And so for me, it's easier to say, which I hope that I'm making, I'm not making a characterization of this, but it is that for the Armenian is that God looks down the corridor of time and he sees those who have faith. Mm -hmm. And then those who have faith, he gives election to. Yeah. And that's dealing with God's foreknowledge. It's, it's the, the fact that his election is based on the foreknowledge of people coming or people choosing him. Yeah. Um, whereas unconditional election is saying, no, this is who we chose. Um, this is who I chose before the end of time or before the beginning of time. He Sorry. said that last time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before the end of time. Yeah. So um, I don't. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that, man? What do you think about the difference between them? The the uh, first I want to actually first I want to say uh, give an explanation that I understand it by, mm. and then I want to uh, ask your opinion on it. So yeah. the thing is, I think between the difference between um, unconditional election versus conditional election, mm. which when we use the addition, the word again, I want to stress the fact that when we use the word condition, yeah. we're not saying that it is an action or any actual work mm. that will allow us to gain salvation, mm. but because we can both say as uh, um, as Christians that there is technically a condition by which we are entered into salvation, and that is faith. Because yeah. we know that there is no that that it says by grace you were saved through faith. Mm-hmm. So it's grace that saves you, but it is through faith, the mechanism of faith. Arminians believe that too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's both Calvinism and Arminianism. Yeah. So in that sense, that's why condition the word is so difficult to pinpoint and to put down. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to say that that we both believe there's a quote-unquote condition, but that the thing is, is that I believe that mm-hmm. as Calvinists, we believe that God first elects. Yeah. And then after he elects, then he gives them faith. Yeah. He He chose us before we chose him is another way to yeah. put it. Is that, that faith is given to us yeah. By God, because He elected us, mm-hmm. and those He who did, those He, those who He did not elect, He did not give faith. Yeah. While uh, the Armenian would say that those who have faith, God gives the election to. Yeah, yeah. So, so He says that you will be uh, a part of My people mm-hmm. because you have faith. Yeah. So the condition of His choice is faith in. Uh, in the Arminian view, but the condition of his choice is his own will. Mm-hmm. There is no condition. It's who so, he chooses. Um, a lot of people would make this argument uh. is that God is arbitrary, which means that he just makes choices for making choices, that there is no reason behind his mm-hmm. choice, yeah. and that's what uh, that's a big that's a big deal yeah. uh, uh, because both of these are great. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, hey, you know that gives us free will and ability mm-hmm. to be able to that that we could say that God wants people that love. Like, mm-hmm. He wants them to He wants people that that want to love Him freely. You know, yeah. that's what uh, that's the Arminianist argument, mm-hmm. and then the Calvinist argument is that God is sovereign; yeah. that He chooses and does all that He wishes to do. Which but, Arminians, uh, yeah, they, they sovereignty is a God, different. Yeah. Uh, that's a different. It's a whole different word. But, yeah. Uh, let's just get back to what I'm talking about. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> is that uh, <laughs> in this? Is that um um, but God's decision or choice to mm. pick Paul 
and Cam mm. is an arbitrary choice, that yeah. there is no real factor by which he chooses us. Because mm. uh, based on the definition, since God doesn't, uh, uh, before we do anything, before we've done anything, before we uh, had even been known, then he chooses us. So what do you yeah. say about that, man? It makes God arbitrary, and we don't want an arbitrary God. Because yeah. arbitrary gods mean that, that God's can do, an arbitrary God means that God could do whatever yeah. he wants, whenever he wants, just because. Yeah, which is unbiblical because God, uh, or the Bible specifically says that God can't do things. God cannot lie. God cannot do evil. He cannot sin. He cannot be around sin. So um, what I would say is that his choice is based on his will, but it's not for, um, it's not just for some arbitrary reason like, oh, I just wanted to pick them. No. Um, I think Romans 9 talks about it well when it says, um, you know, that he he chooses vessels of wrath and vessels of uh, mercy. And so in this, it shows, first of all, God cannot do anything that's contrary to his nature. Mm -hmm. So his nature, God is good. God is um, sovereign. God is all-powerful, omniscient, uh, just, merciful, gracious. Faithful. Um, yeah. So what I what I would say is that, um, you know, because of that, it's not some arbitrary reason that he's just choosing whoever he wants to, but that is to show his mercy, is to show his grace um, in the the predestination or the election of uh, his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, the question, though, is not that is he showing his mercy, is he showing his grace? Because, yeah, I think that— um, those who claim the arbitrariness of God on the Calvinist understanding of salvation mm-hmm. would say, yeah, of course he's showing his mercy, his grace. But the question remains is why specifically those people? Like why specifically Cam? Because well, that would be the arbitrary choice. Yeah. Why? I mean, the, the, the whole thing is, well, why doesn't he just kill all people? Why doesn't he just... Uh, send a, condemn everybody to hell because that's just. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, but I don't. I think you're missing the idea of what I'm trying to say is that uh, we believe that God is not arbitrary. God. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all believe that. Yeah. And I think that they are trying to make the point that um, if God just chooses people randomly, that's an arbitrary decision. Mm-hmm. Now, even though He chooses them randomly for a purpose. So the purpose was to show his mercy, to show his grace, to show his justice on those who are not chosen. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Even though there are dis- reasons behind the choice, the choice by which he picked the people is arbitrary. I think that's the big can, deal behind it. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I'm, I'm just, I'm a little confused on to how you can make an arbitrary reason for a purpose. So... So I I guess it'd be like, uh, so I have uh, 10 worms Mm. or 10 bugs on the table. Yeah. You know, and then there's like, uh, uh, I don't know, there's like three of them I'm going to kill. So I just kill three random bugs. You know what I'm saying? But why did I pick those random bugs? You know what I'm saying? Mm. That was just an arbitrary decision. But I wanted to show my mercy. But I could have showed mercy on any one of those. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I could have let the other, I don't even, I think I said 10, 10 bugs. 10, yeah. Yeah, so I could have showed on any of those 10. I could have yeah. saved all 10. Yeah. 
but uh, then I wouldn't be showing my justice. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so I pick three and killed them. Mm. But why did I pick those three? I don't know. Why did you? Yeah, see, I, I just randomly did it, which is an arbitrary decision. Yeah. But I did the overall decision to kill and to not kill was to show my grace. Yeah. And then to also show my justice because there was three that died because they were deserving of it. Mm. But why I picked those three yeah. and why I didn't pick those seven mm. is uh, that's an arbitrary decision. I had no real reason behind why I picked three to kill and why mm. I picked three, save for the fact the overall choice was to show my mercy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then my justice as well. I think that's the question that is being asked. Well, one thing I would say is, first of all, we we can't really know why. Uh, we can't really know. Like, that's that's the whole thing about Calvinism that should humble you, is why why would God save a wretch like me? Man, hey, ain't yeah. that the truth, brother? Why? That, like, he's big. Listen up, guys. Listen up. <laughs> why? Like, there's no way I'm deserving of any of the grace that has been bestowed upon me by yeah. by the Lord. That's man to um, me that's the the biggest uh uh that's the biggest yeah. thing for me. Yeah. is that God would choose me. Yeah. And the thing is is that because I also believe in his foreknowledge as well as yeah. his uh, uh his election is yeah. that he chose me yeah. and knew that even after I'd come to know him to say that I loved him, to serve him, to yeah. say that he's my king, to represent him in this world I still go out and make a mockery of oh, his yeah. name, and you know. But he would still choose yeah. me. He would still save me. He would still love mm-hmm. me. And I would say it's worse at that point. Our sin, the sin for the Christian, oh, is it worse is. because we know it is worse, man. And, it says, yeah, I think and, it's in Hebrew. It yeah. says that they knew him, yeah, and they dishonored him. And we still choose to sin. Yeah. So I mean, in that aspect, yes, that yeah. does humble me yeah. and make me me. It gives like a, a new sense or meaning of grace in my heart, but that still doesn't answer the question. Exactly, but that yeah. I think that's a question that shouldn't be asked in that way specifically, mm-hmm. and that well, it just makes God arbitrary. Because I think a right application of Romans nine is, who are you to question God in this yeah. instance? Because mm-hmm. we can't question Him. Bro, you can't fall back on that, man. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think. People do use that incorrectly, but I think, <laughs> it, especially Calvinists. <laughs> but I think in this instance, it's it's one of those things where you can't know why God chose you and why He didn't, and yeah. that should humble you. Why uh, not knowing why and not understanding why, yeah. uh, other than the fact you know we can know why He made the overall decision to save some. Yeah, it's um, that he wanted to show his great mercy yes. and his justice. Right? Showing his mercy, yeah. justice, and his grace, and his love, yeah. and compassion, and um, you know, wrath, and and all of these different things yeah. are, are within his nature that are him. Uh, I mean, God mm-hmm. is God yeah. is good. God is wrath. God is um, God is love. God is jealous. Yeah, God, God is, is love. Faithful. God yeah. is trustworthy. Yeah, man. and it's, it's unchangeable. And it's not it's that immutable, yeah. bro. God is so great, yeah. and awesome, and honor. He's holy, yeah. man. Yeah. Worthy. It, it's it's not that he has these abilities. It's that he is these. Yeah, they are him. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. It's his attributes are who he is mm-hmm. uh, and there's no changing that that's right it's um, unchangeable yeah. bro and Woo! so man preach it brother <laughs> and so you have you have all of these these 
uh, attributes of God that are present in his decision to save some. Yep. But. So what's up? What's up? What's up? Oh, I'm sorry, man. I yeah, should let you well, finish your thought. Well, in, in, in that is, is um, the fact that one of his attributes is that he does things logically and reasonably mm-hmm. and that he does them for a reason. Um, whether we can know that reason or not is a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, one of his attributes is also that he is higher than us yeah. and that we can't attain uh, certain things, certain knowledge about him because he is God. We can't even yeah. look at him. He's a transcendent yeah. God, man. Um, and so in Deuteronomy, I think yeah. it says that the secret or the, the secret things of God yeah. are his. Yeah. The things he revealed are ours. Yeah. And so what I would say to that specific question is that's not a question you need to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, we know it's not arbitrary because it's not part of God's nature that's to be nature. arbitrary. Yeah. Um, and and second of all, we we shouldn't ask that big question because we can't know it. We mm-hmm. can't know th- all the things of God. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a certain aspect of mystery that we need to have about God mm-hmm. because He is all powerful. He's omniscient. We are not. He's mm-hmm. all knowing, um, which is omniscient. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I just repeated myself. But. I repeat myself all the time, brother. No worries. Yeah, so he's omniscient, Um, Mm -hmm. and so we can't have, we shouldn't be asking that question in that way. Well, that just makes God arbitrary. Well, no, because it's against his nature to be arbitrary. Um, And number two, we shouldn't ask that question um, Mm -hmm. because we can't know it. So therefore, who are you to question God? Mm -hmm. Because. You can't question God on something that you can't know. No. Yeah. Well, let me back back just a second, mm-hmm. and then we'll. we'll uh, I want to talk a little bit about unconditional election, a little bit more on the the um, the uh, Armenian side, and then we'll yeah. move on. But uh, I want to back back up and say that I don't think that it's that we shouldn't ask the question. Mm-hmm. So I think it's okay to ask the question, but whenever we know that it's unknowable, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like. Uh, uh, your answer to like those things are God's things, you know what I mean? And that we won't, we won't be able to know those things. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that's absolutely right. But I think the part where you said that we shouldn't ask that question is wrong. I think that we can, we can ask that question, but then after God has said his answer, yeah. then we shouldn't ask that question yeah. any anymore. Well, so. I think more so I was, I was saying that we shouldn't ask it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, you know, it's, it's a like point. accusatorial. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, God, mm. you are arbitrary. Yeah, because I mean, in Romans nine, you have who can resist His will? Yeah. Like, and and Paul saying, "Who are you to question God? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know the answer, and therefore you shouldn't be asking that question." Mm-hmm. Um, and so we shouldn't ask in a in a in first of all in an accusatory way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the way we ask a question is is certainly. Uh, gonna bring meaning into that question. And so, like when mm-hmm. when when you say, "Well, that just makes God arbitrary," you're it, it's it's almost never in a way that is actually trying to understand it. It's it's yeah. more so like it's yeah, trying to I be. Yeah, I see an what you're saying. Yeah, I see. Like if the question is truly a question that you're trying to wrestle with, mm-hmm. then ask it. Yeah. But if it's only a question that is said to Prove your point, mm. then, uh, and you're not. I can understand. I, let me back. At, let me back back up to saying, if it's only a question, that if it's only that's the key word. Mm. If it's only a question that is used mm. to uh, say I'm right, yeah, 
then it shouldn't be asked. I don't think that it should be because I think people can ask questions to get people to understand the point that you're making. But if I'm not willing to open myself up to another answer yeah. while I'm asking that question, yeah. then I'd be wrong. Yeah. But if I'm if I'm just saying, uh, if I'm just asking a question to beat you down, mm. then yeah, it's wrong. Yeah, because you know, that's that's a question that could have some actual use for the Christian. Yeah, because um, I think that it's a it's a strong question. It's, yeah. a, it's regardless of if it's a, a good question or a bad question, mm-hmm. it's a question that's being asked, man. And yeah. I think I would actually go back to what you were saying. I, I don't think that even though I, when I was talking to you, I wanted to make the distinction between the individual versus the collective uh, grace mm-hmm. and justice. I think that actually when I'm crushing those, I may have not picked, I arbitrarily picked those, mm-hmm. but it was, there was no, there was an arbitrary reason for that. It was specifically for me to display my grace and my and my honor. Uh, I don't think those two are, can be separated, man, uh, because the purpose of showing someone grace and mercy or the purpose of, of God showing collectively man grace and mercy is because there is no real reason why he would pick one versus the other. Because uh, if it was an action that we did, it wouldn't be grace. If it was a... a, a a word that we spoke, a work that we did, mm. it wouldn't be grace anymore. Yeah. It would have been based upon uh, that. Mm. And the the only thing that I can come to think of, which now we're moving on to, because I want to talk about unconditional election in the sense of the Armenian, yeah. is that if God puts himself, restrains himself into mm. parameters, mm. that he, because he is trustworthy yeah. and because he is faithful, mm. that he would follow, yeah. then that is the only thing a person could do in order for them, for him to, in a lack of a better term, mm-hmm. to to bow to them. Yeah. You know, he would never bow to anybody because yeah. he's God. But when a person uh, says that they will place their trust in Christ and have faith, then because he has stated that if a person comes to faith in him, that he will save them, mm-hmm. then that means he's going to do that. And mm-hmm. so that's the only condition, quote unquote, uh, for unconditional election, mm. is that's the only condition by which God would constrain Himself. Choosing, yeah, yeah, is that those who come to faith will be the mm. elect. Yeah, and it, one of the things that, as I was reading up on this, um, uh, that it seems that the Arminians' view uh, tends to focus on His love, mm-hmm. uh, and where I would say the Calvinist view focuses on the wrath, but it also does focus on the love. It has a kind of two-sided effect. Yeah, tension um, between them. Yeah, which Arminians, it seems that what they're doing is they're trying to say, well, how can a loving God elect people and therefore uh, elect people to heaven and therefore elect people to yeah. hell? Um, the logical conclusion yeah. would be that God would be yeah. choosing people for hell. Yeah, well— yeah, and whether it's active or passive is a different. Yeah. Uh, That's a whole different story. Yeah, but different even story, in but. that, I think that uh, just a little touch on it, which yeah. we won't go far. But even yeah. in that, if he's passively choosing, mm. that means he's actively choosing because he's picking one and not another. But you know, yeah, I know there's a big argument <laughs> yeah. behind that. So, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, I've kind of lost. I'm on track of that. You're all good, yeah. bro. So uh, since we are talking about unconditional election in this last mm-hmm. moment, is that the Armenians, you said, have that love that they're desiring for. And I think that that the big picture for all of this 
is is that God sovereignty, and I know that's like word that blah, 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 you know yeah. everybody uses, but I think the big thing is that that it is God who makes all decisions. He's mm. completely in charge. Even as I'm saying that, it's like I know that I can hear uh, uh, Armenians or anybody who's not Calvinist being yeah. saying, "Oh, I believe God is completely in charge." Yeah. Oh, I believe it's yeah. just like a different type of of thing, though, yeah. for the Calvinist, yeah. the understanding of God's sovereignty. Yeah. But um, it, it it and then we have human yeah. free will. I think those are the yeah. two big things. And this is probably the the biggest paradigm yeah. for that. And and I remembered where I was going with that. So um, basically, Arminians are saying that because God is loving, He chooses to give us free will um, mm-hmm. to to make yeah. the decision. That's that um, thing I was talking about faith, where He said yeah. that He would uh, He would constrain Himself in those requirements. And I think that's what you're trying to say is that yeah. God would restrain Himself in the requirements yeah. of free will towards. Yeah. Uh, uh, he would make men agents of free will. Yeah, yeah, and um, and with that, uh, I I think the main problem that I have with that is that, um, it's still saying that God is not in control of the salvation, um, because when you have free will and the condition is to choose, well, then He's making a decision based off of your decision, mm-hmm. um, which I just think is, you know. Yeah. Not not a good place to be. Uh, hence, I'm a Calvinist, obviously. Yeah. But um, but uh, yeah, I think that when when you have the condition being, or he's making a decision based off of your decision, then what happens when you as as they later on uh, as the remonstrants later on uh, determined is when you lose peak. your faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. What happens? Did God make a wrong decision in that? Um, you know, and, and so there's, there's laying aside scripture, not scriptural truths, but scripture, uh, itself. Um, so, uh, so that we can kind of understand the logically, uh, the Mm -hmm. logical aspect of it, um, is that it has implications for all the other things. Um, if, if, if God makes a decision, um, based on your decision, uh, it kind of, it, brings about some other problems within, um, well, mainly with his attributes. It brings some some tension there um, and with uh, perseverance of the saints or preservation of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's Arminians um, tend to, to have this kind of focus on the, the reason God gives us free will is because it's God's love, um, and he's loving enough to give us free will. And so he... He's sovereign over that, and the and the fact that he uh, has so chose or so determined to give us free will. Um, but I just think that that explanation of free will is a little has has implications elsewhere where mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's not good. And the thing is, classical Arminians, uh, those who are Wesleyan Arminians, they reject open theism but the whole idea of free will um, let's back back what's open theism yeah so open theism sorry open theism is this idea that there are many different um outcomes in the future that there's not one set linear outcome of the future Mm. uh other than so like the future is not determined uh yes in a sense it's not it meaning it's not fully determined in 
many different outcomes uh, can come about. So, for example, um, I chose to wear a gray shirt today or a silver shirt, whatever mm-hmm. you want to say. Is it gray um, or silver? It's a Spurs color, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> it's uh, so it's. It looks good on you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Uh, wish I could say the same about your Arkansas shirt, yeah, but. Man. I mean, it looks good on you. Yeah, it's it just Arkansas. It yeah, it don't look good on me, man. It looks great. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, gosh dang it, I got off track again. <laughs> I keep um, You're I up. keep uh, forgetting about yeah, it. Yeah, um, what's up? But uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> bro, you had me all messed up because of my Razorbacks. Yeah, but it's it's all good. So let's just go ahead and uh, move to the. Uh, the uh perseverance of the saints no 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 bro we're on we're on limited atonement man oh limited atonement yeah, yeah. but i did actually want to ask one question yeah uh because you said that or actually i, I don't want to ask i wanted to like make a statement yeah is that i do think that these are lined out in such a way that show that, that they have implications for everything yeah you know um even in, I don't know where you was going with open theism with the Wesleyanism. West, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I was going to say, yeah, you remember what you're going to say now. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. I don't know where he's going with that. But I do know that I think that each of these have mm-hmm. implications as to uh, understanding of God. Just like you're saying, the 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 restraining oneself within the, the idea of God choosing someone because... Mm-hmm. They chose him, and yeah. then did he make the wrong decision? Yeah. But I also think it's the same way with um, um, in Calvinism is saying that if God chose us, then did did he choose uh, the to send people to hell? You yeah. know, so um, and I know that we would never say that God sends people to hell. They make yeah. that by their own volitional choice. Yeah. But Scripture also says things about how. Um, What's it called? Uh, that man has a responsibility for the actions mm. that they do. Yeah. It says, choose you this day who you serve. Uh, and it says that they suppress the truth. Mm. So it gives them, they have responsibility over their yeah. actions. And, yeah, I fully admit that there are problems with Calvinism. It's a man-made system. It's a man-made yeah. uh, theology. Uh, I don't think that I'm right. I think it's the best uh, possible mm-hmm. solution. Um, yep. So I'd rather take the problems of Calvinism than the problems of Arminianism. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think where that's I was, a, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, go yeah, on. yeah, where I was going with the open theism thing is, so basically this idea of free will is the, uh, the ability to choose different possible outcomes. And so if you choose... For example, if you choose to wear a black shirt instead of a silver shirt or whatever, um, then you have uh, you have the ability to choose different outcomes. And when it gets out into the entire thing, um, as you go out, spread out more, it spreads out completely. What what open theism is is saying that um, there are multiple different realities, multiple different outcomes uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe not realities, but outcomes in the future. And um, to uh, look at, or in order for God to do his electing, because all Christians believe in election, you can't get around that, it's in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, you uh, you have, to, or God looks at the all of the outcomes, he doesn't know which one uh, specifically is going to come out, but he's essentially the world's best detective. He's a perfect <laughs> detective in a way. Um, he's Batman? <laughs> or Sherlock Holmes? Batman. Yeah. On Michael Caine. Um, <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, he he 
he's essentially the the world's best detective and the perfect detective in in mm-hmm. a sense and that he chooses the best possible outcome or he knows the best po- possible outcome um but when you get into that that's something that armenians actually don't believe um the the wesleyan armenians mm-hmm. uh, they don't believe in open theism they reject that um mm-hmm. so how i don't know uh how does uh, open theism uh play into unconditional election um so what what it is is you know in his foreknowledge god looks at all those and he looks at the decision of each um and yeah he he uh he finds the best outcome or he finds uh he knows which outcome is going to happen essentially he by his detective skills if we can call it that Mm -hmm. um he he knows the best possible outcome and therefore uh he elects based on that best possible outcome or that uh that necessary outcome what i have and what armenians would even have problems with uh the wesleyan armenians not the ones that like okay not everyone who says they're a calvinist is a calvinist not everyone who says they're an armenian is an armenian Uh, Just want to put that out there. Um, what we're talking about is historical Calvinism and historical Arminianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the five points that were laid out by the Canons of Dort and the five points that were laid out by the Remonstrants. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we're we're talking about here. So when I whenever I say Arminian, I want to put mm-hmm. that out there that Arminians don't actually believe in open theism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a heresy. Yeah, but uh, the open theism um, there there's problems with. When you go to uh, the the end of time, whenever uh, God, uh, essentially, whenever there's there's a lot of problems with foreknowledge and with God actually setting a time for when uh, Christ will come again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's historical implications which uh, might happen might need to be talked about in the next episode. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's there's historical implications with that that. Um, that don't work, and that's not what Arminians believe. I want to make that clear. But there's still problems with conditional election, and, and if you believe there's a linear uh, outcome and there's one set outcome to everything, because mm-hmm. um, so. Okay, what, I think I get what you're saying. Is that yeah. uh, kind of let me? Because even as I'm thinking about it, my head is kind of getting twisted. But yeah. you're saying that even though we all have free wills to make decisions, that each decision is still determined meaning that there is only one outcome that will actually happen even though we all have a uh free will to be able to choose that it's a linear path mm. because god is outside of time and he can yeah. see that it's come about so that there is there's a is st- he outside of time that's yeah. a whole different question yeah yeah but uh there's like a uh uh like there's a it's deterministic as if more like it's like uh, that we're watching, that God is watching a video game. Yeah. Or not a video game, I'm sorry. Like watching the Super Bowl from mm. last year. That everything, even though all those were free choices, yeah. he's watching it as if it's already yeah. been played. Yeah. So that way we know that there's a linear outcome mm. and that there's just not different multiple things. Well, I yeah, think maybe that's what you're saying about how God would actually know something in yeah. the future. And that's the problem with this whole idea that... Uh, Arminians are trying to hold to with free will um, is that if you have 
if you define free will as having the ability to choose different possible outcomes, then that ultimately leads to open theism. Hmm. Logically, conclu- the logical conclusion is the open theism because if you can choose possible outcomes, different possible outcomes, then who's to say there are any possible outcomes? Yeah. Now, I think I'm taking it too far, even though because uh, I think there's Calvinists who believe that we have free will, maybe not libertarian free will, where we can make decisions like uh, decisions that are out of our own well, character. That, that's that's what I'm saying. But, if you define free will as But that. if you but even if you define I just want to get back to this though is that even if you define and then we'll have to move on because this is not about free will, my brother. Yeah. This is about uh tulip. But, but if you define free will as in um uh, I guess it's called compatibilism, mm. which means that you do what your nature wants you to do, you still have a decision. Like I could still pick two things. It's just that those two things will be both evil. They won't be good. You know what I'm saying? So you still have a quote unquote branch of things that a person could potentially end up doing. Mm. It's just that those things that a person potentially will end up doing would still be like a part of their character and their nature. So they would still have free will. It's just not the free will that most people think about when they think about free will. Well, and, and you know, if you. If so you the only define, reason I say that is yeah. because. You still have the chance of open theism. Uh, it's just that, you know, well, the branch would only be like on the bad side. You know what I mean? You know how they have those things that are like, no, go get a coffee. Yes, blah blah blah. Yes, go get a coffee. Yes, go get a. Yeah, uh, you know, you can still do all of these things, but they're gonna all end up being yeah. the uh, go get a coffee, or they're all gonna end up being sinful. Yeah. Well, th- again, that's that's where some problems start to happen. That's why Calvinism and Arminianism both have problems. I would just rather take the Calvinist uh, position. Um, Let's go to limited atonement, though, brother. Yeah. Because I don't know if we, uh, because this one's actually limited atonement and irresistible grace are are probably the most difficult ones uh, for me to understand. Yeah. And so limited atonement, I started on the U, so why don't you hook us up with the L, man? Yeah, so limited atonement, um, essentially, I... uh, I refer to it as actual atonement. I think that's how John MacArthur laid it out. Um, actual atonement? Yeah. So, uh, and I, I prefer, uh, I think that's a better summary. It doesn't fit into the, the acronym, but I think it's a better name for it as far as summarizing the main idea of it. Um, but it's the idea that Christ died to accomplish something, not just to make something possible. So he he actually atoned for the sins of uh, the believers. Um and and not for everybody's sins, um, because uh, basically what it's doing is it's it's limiting the extent of the atonement and unlimiting the power of the atonement, and and then you fall into irresistible grace, um, where um, essentially Christ's death was accomplished for something, not just to make something possible. So it, mm-hmm. it it's not that he um, that he died for the sins of the world and only those who will choose uh, are then atoned for um, or he atones for the uh, sins of the world but it's those who choose who actually get the atonement um, it's more so uh, that his atonement is for the believers so his death atones for the believers and not for the unbelievers mm-hmm. uh, sins yeah I mean I think that uh, anybody who is is biblical, would need to say that that the sin only or the sin the death of Christ only atones for 
those who have come to faith. Like that, that's biblical. I think that's the, um, I think that's the argument. A lot of people will say that it is, uh, uh, was it, is effectual. Wait, hold on. Let me think of the term. It says that it is, um, has the, uh, it's efficient. For, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah it's or it's sufficient, sufficient for, all, for all. Efficient for some. But efficient yeah. for some. Like it has the ability yeah. and the power to save everybody. That's how the canons of Dort lays it out. Yeah. Too. But that it is only efficient for the ones who actually come to faith. So I think that's a biblical, uh, understanding. And, um, we did have a book on the table earlier called The Extent of the Atonement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, should, we should have left that book on the table. That's, that's really, uh, that's yeah. really uh, uh, pertinent in our argument yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, man, because this one is, is, is a bit tough for me. Have you ever heard of a thing called the uh, double penalty or double payment? Uh, it's by John Owen. And it's no, a recent thing. I have actually. Yeah, so this was an argument that kind of got me thinking about it because um, the idea that the power of Christ's death to save even those who are not in Christ, mm. if they went and paid for their sins, which they do if they go to hell, you know, they're paying mm. for their own sins, then that would be unjust because. God has paid for those sins in Christ on the cross. And so because God has paid for those sins in Christ on the cross, that means that even that it would not save those who are destined for hell because they are destined for hell and they have to pay for their own sins. So he limits the ability of salvation to only the elect. Yeah. Not that even not even like in the saying that we all say, hmm. at least from my understanding, this is a recent thing that I've come to hmm. come across. But he says that even in um, that saying, we say it's sufficient and efficient. Hmm. He's saying that it it's not sufficient for them, because if it was, they would Christ would be dying. Christ's death would be unjust because hmm. and then he I think that he further goes on to say, which I'm not sure. I'm just putting this out there for yeah. the things that I've. I've heard, and I need to read more about it, but it has a, a book called The Death of Death by John Owen. I need to grab that. Yeah, it's probably a, a pretty splendid. He's probably got some great, great ideas in oh, there. Oh, yeah. But it says that the elect are owed salvation because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And I think sometimes that is just a more gross hmm. output of, uh, when I say gross, I mean greater yeah. understanding of the fact that uh because of Christ's sin, that the sins of the uh, the elect are atoned for, and so yeah. those of the elect are owed salvation because Christ elected them, so or what, God elected them. Yeah. So what you're saying is because of the imputed righteousness, mm-hmm. uh, because they are counted as perfect because of Christ, um, they are they are owed not by their own doing, but by Christ's doing. They're owed uh, their spot in heaven, essentially. Yeah, is that they 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 are. So it's because mm. they are because Christ died, mm. and that death has to yeah. uh, have be just. Yeah, and so those who Christ or God elected in Christ are owed salvation. Yeah, which I mean, you know, it's so funny to say that when you use the word owed. Yeah, it makes you think. That don't sound right. Yeah, it sounds almost like arrogant. Blasphemous, yeah. Yeah. 
But it is because of uh, God's election, obviously, yeah. is the reason why they're owed salvation. Mm-hmm. It's not anything that they did because yeah. they didn't get elected. But it was because of God's uh, uh, because of God's justice in Jesus on the cross. Yeah, these people are elected. The ones that are elected are owed salvation. Yeah. So, um, so but, basically, what you're saying, and, and then finally, first, I got to add oh, that that yeah. that uh, uh, and that those who are not the elect, Christ's death did not cover. Regardless, it's not. I don't even think. I don't even know if it says they're sufficient for it. Yeah. Because that would be a double penalty. So, what you're saying, John Owen is saying, um, yeah. is that. And that's if, me just not reading the book either. Yeah. That's just me from people talking that, about it and telling them about it. That's a really crazy idea. But that, I mean, it seems, different, man. seems yep. reasonable. It yep. seems, it seems almost like a, a, a philosophical attempt at. Uh, understanding, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's based more, on the penalties yeah. uh, that it talks about. How it's, uh, you know, First Corinth, I think it's no Second Corinthians where it talks about he knew no sin became sin. Yeah, and then it also goes off of uh, John where, wait, is it John? Uh, wait, hold on, I don't think it's John. John Owen. <laughs> yeah, probably, that's why I probably got tripped out. But yeah, yeah, it goes off. Oh yeah, it is John where it talks about how uh, that. Christ is, is uh, uh, his sacrifice mm. is what, man, I'm, I, can't, I can't think of the verse. Yeah. But it's just, uh, it just goes off of all that stuff about uh, uh, punitive yeah. uh, justice and mm. just the idea of the justice system and how uh, one pays for the other. The, the, uh, the man, I just can't think of these words, but yeah. where appeasement, where per, uh, you appease a king. Mm. Uh, they can't remember. Penal substitution. Yeah, maybe? penal substitutionary atonement. Yeah. It just goes based off that idea, mm. and so that if one happens, then the other one can't happen yeah. because then it wouldn't be just. Yeah. Um. So one thing that I might say against at least what you're saying of John Owen. Uh, one thing that I would say is that in the use of sufficient uh, for all, mm-hmm. it's not talking about that it pays for everyone's sin, but that it has the ability to. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they were part of the elect, if the non-elect were part of the elect, then Christ's death would be sufficient to save them. But it's only yeah. efficient, so it only takes into effect of some. But John Owen is a much smarter man than me. Uh, so um, I think the question, though, goes to say, though, um, is that, like, when is the application of the atonement applied no you know because i i I think that's that's it because he it's christ it says i think in timothy where it says that uh that christ was uh slain before the foundation of the world like this this was a uh, uh this was a cognitive decision that was made before the world began it was it was made in eternity's past that he would die and then if that would be the case, mm. then he would know who he was dying for. Mm. You know, even though it was uh, applied to, it's only applied to those who believe. And so I think that some, um, I think maybe Gill, is his name Gill? John Gill? Yeah, John Gill, yeah, uh, yeah, who yeah. talked about that uh, their salvation was given to them from even before, uh, or from when they were bo- born, you mm. know, that... Uh, um, that uh, when they're born, that they already are part of the elect, and being a part of the elect means that they are saved already. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that's some explanation that some believe about 
children when they pass away is that if they're part of the elect, they're part of the elect, and mm-hmm. that would be regardless of faith or anything like that. Yeah. But so the question is, if they're part of the elect, mm-hmm. when does that atonement be applied to them? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's I think that's a bigger question that mm-hmm. that John Owen is is talking about. But Scripture also says things like, um, you know, that God's wrath was upon you. Mm-hmm. So if God's wrath is upon you, then is His atonement upon you? Because yeah. you wouldn't have you wouldn't have God's wrath upon you mm-hmm. if uh, atonement was upon yeah. you. It would be grace and mercy and truth, mm-hmm. you know. But um, yeah, so those things right there, man, they kind of uh, got me questioning and thinking yeah. about this the the extent of the atonement. Because yeah. like, when is it applied by faith? Mm-hmm. You know, we we obviously would say that we mm-hmm. would say that that it's by grace you're saved through mm-hmm. faith. And when a person comes to faith, that's when the the grace of God is poured out upon them, and He lavished them with it, you know. Mm. And so I think that's man, that's that's questions that have been coming in my head, yeah. trying to understand the limited atonement part yeah. of 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 of, uh, of tulip. Yeah, of tulip, man. Um, is this the one that many people, if they're Calvinists, will say that they're? I'm a four point Calvinist, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, I was that way too. Yeah, is that it's just understanding the limited atonement yeah. part, you know? What was difficult for you, and what uh, made you you turn over to turn over a new L for Lee? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> um, no, so I think, well, what. What I used to say is that I believe in all the four points. I I've believed them since I was, uh, since I was born again, since I was a Christian. Yet did not understand that I believed them until I started uh, to study them because I had been taught them elsewhere. Um, with limited atonement, what I had the problem with is limiting the, uh, really limiting the, um, power of the atonement. So I. Th- in my mind, limiting the the extent um, of uh, the atonement and of salvation um, narrowed down and limited the power of it. Um, what I didn't understand is the difference between extent and power. Yeah, and um, and so when when I con- just through continual talks, continuing. What's to study, sorry, What's the difference between extent and power? Yeah. So um, the difference between Extent is basically um, who does God atone for? Um, so what is the, the extent of the atonement of sins um, or the payment of sins, for example? Uh, does he pay for all sins or does he pay for some? And in this mm-hmm. case, the elect. Um, and yeah, so, I think that's a bigger question of what John Owen was talking about. Mm-hmm. Is like whose sins... Was Christ paying for yeah. on the cross? Yeah, and so he's he's trying to deal with limited atonement in that, and a- actual atonement. Um, you know, he he's he's. So what so led if, me? If and I think uh, that's the question. Then mm-hmm. is is if it's sufficient for all, then did he die? Did Jesus die with the weight of all the sins upon his shoulders? Yeah, because. If it's sufficient for all, then he would have had to have died with the weight of every sin on his shoulder. Yeah. But Um, if he did die, and this is where John Owen comes with that argument, is if he did die with the weight of all the sins mm, on his shoulders, mm, 
then those who go to hell, mm. that would be unjust. Yeah. Because now they're paying for their sins and Christ paid for their sins. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. What so lo- what led me to that is the power. Um, so we found extent. Now we got to find power. Um, and basically what I mean by power is God's power to save. Um, does he atone for their sins and does he have the power to save them if they are atoned for their sins? And I would say yes, 100%, that if your sins are atoned for, then he has the power and uh, you are saved at that point. Um, but then that doesn't that go back to extent, though? So if God has the power to save those whose sins are atoned for, then does he have the power to save those whose sins aren't atoned for? Because the extent would be who sins has he atoned for. Well, at so that the power is specifically for those that he is atoned for. Then that would mean that it is only the elect that is sufficient for, because he hasn't atoned well, for all of them. No, because if, um, so when I when I'm talking about power, um, specifically I'm talking about those who has saved, it limits the power. Um, for those, for the the smaller extent. Mm-hmm. So, if God died for your sins, you are saved. Mm-hmm. Yes. And verses, um, and this is also kind of where irresistible grace. They all interconnect. They it's do, really, man. All the letters. Yeah. That's why they make a word. That's why yeah. they make tulip. Yeah. Because they, on their own, mm. they're just letters. Yeah. But together. Yeah. They make tulip. Yeah, and then uh, the canons of Dort actually put atonement and irresistible grace as one. So they call it head of the the head of doctrine three and four, um, but it's all in the same thing because they go together and they're so inseparable. Mm-hmm. Um, but what 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 I'm saying when I say power is that the atonement um, is powerful. Its power is unlimited. If your sins are atoned for then you are saved. Um, there's no way that Christ did, did that Christ died for your sins mm-hmm. and you do not become saved. Yeah, um, no way. Whereas if you unlimit the extent, which is what a limited atonement is, if you unlimit the extent, then you're limiting the power in that Christ died for your sins, yet you won't be saved. There's, mm-hmm. there's instances of that where that happens. Mm-hmm. And so you're limiting the power to say that it can't fully atone for your sins like you don't have christ's death is not what atones for your sins uh, at that point it's the decision because whenever that that atonement for your sins is not bestowed upon you unless you make that decision mm-hmm. this um, person has faith yeah and so uh, so you're saying that it limits the power mm. of the atonement because mm. it is only those who have faith mm. Rather than that, uh, if you're the elect, that it will save you mm. because it has unlimited power to do so. Mm. But the power of the atonement is only is is limited because a person has to come to faith to it. Yeah, and so that's mm. essentially coming to that understanding um, and just seeing in scripture how that's true. Um, you know that our sins are. Bust out for. some of them verses for us, man. Oh. Pfft. 
Okay. You got them all written down, man? Yeah, I do, because I'm not good at remembering verses. Because just to think about it, it yeah. just uh, goes back to that unconditional election, which you yeah. said, dude, they are tied together. It's yeah. because the unconditional election, uh, God restrains himself or constrains himself yeah. in the condition of faith, mm. you know? And so the only reason that a person will, uh, uh, the only reason a, a person or the sins will be atoned for is because of their faith, mm. you know? And so that does limit the power of the faith because it also limits mm. the, uh, the power of their salvation or their election, yeah. you know? Mm. Yeah. So I just think about that, man. It's really, you know, when you dive deep into these things, and again, I guess I fall back on what you said is that, well, which inconsistencies are you gonna uh, are you gonna you'd rather have? Yeah, would you which, rather have because they're both got inconsistencies, yeah. man. Because the scripture is so, it's it's difficult to understand. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say that they're inconsistent in that they're they're logically more, more problems. Yeah, yeah, because logically um, they make sense if you if you logic it out. Um, yeah, but I think that out, logic is not always the best thing. It's biblicalness. Because logic, well, even though uh, we may think it's logical, that doesn't mean that it's logical and um, it's not truly logical. It's not what God would seem or believe or think or understand to be logical well, because we have a limited perspective in all of the areas that are going on. What I would say is based on the nature of logic that, there's no difference between God's logic and human logic. Well, I think what, that it's just the say, factors that we don't see that are playing a part in something. Well, so even though we think we're thinking logical, we may not be because we're not seeing all of the facts. Well, what I would say is that you can have a logical argument and still be wrong because um, it's it's this whole idea between a valid and a sound argument. So logic, all it is is saying that this premise uh follows this premise so the so this is the conclusion this is the premise you start with the premise and if you reason it out then you come to the solution uh which is the or the conclusion and it's logical however you can have a wrong premise you can have uh, uh mm -hmm. you and can that means your whole logic yeah. or your whole answer or the ending yeah. uh, the argument is false so it can be logical and still be false mm -hmm. and, and so i want to i want to make that distinction um in that armenians have logical uh, mm -hmm. you know, logical uh, arguments. The thing is, I think they're they're wrong in their, uh, I guess, b biblicality. Um, and mm -hmm. and and you know, I don't in, know if that's the word, but yeah. we'll we'll let it slide, man. We'll let it go. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, so I think that uh, you know, it can it can play out logically where um, you know, Arminians actually. If they start with this premise, then it follows that this is the conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with uh, Calvin, but um, or Calvinist. But um, essentially, <laughs> if I can remember what I was going to say, um, <laughs> which this apparently seems to be a problem. Uh, Bro, you got to get your brain racked I know. together better, man. I know. There's so much going on in there, and it's firing so fast that it just I sometimes feel you, man, because we be rapid fire back and forth, uh, back and forth. Man. According to our producer here, uh, James, or as we call him Bradley, because uh, that's his actual name. Biblicality. Biblicality is an actual okay, word. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that <laughs> yeah. was good then. Good yeah, job, man. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. made that word up, and it, tended, it turned out to be true, so I guess <laughs> I know it now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, biblicality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
yeah. Anyways, so they have logical conclusion. And mm-hmm. so uh, what I would say is that they're wrong in their premise. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and which I would say their premise is that uh, man's freedom. Yeah, man's free will and man's freedom, um, you know, that, I think that and would, how that's that, their, how that plays I think out. that's the, the – and I say that Calvinists start with God's sovereignty or maybe some people say it's God's justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so uh, it's always hard to start on man, yeah. which which stinks, you know, because yeah. Armenians, I love them, man. But, uh, yeah, it, when you start on man, it's very difficult. Yeah, and, and so – Back to what I was getting to. So both of these, I think both views don't have inconsistencies. What I think they have is problems that they have to solve. And what I think is somehow one has true premises and the other doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so— um, Even though I think that—oh, uh, uh, okay. I, I, yeah. Well, actually, I'm actually still kind of confused about the fact that um, Calvinists— do not have oh, okay you're saying they both don't have inconsistencies yeah yeah okay yeah, so okay. um cuz god is logical the biblical uh, the bible is logical um but that doesn't make that they're uh, a system that, that works doesn't make together. calvinism right because, no no yeah, yeah and yeah. that's not what i'm saying okay, what i'm okay. what i'm saying is that uh to get back to the problems that we have to deal with mm-hmm. um i think our Minionism and both Calvinism. All I'm saying is that they're both logical. They're both, yeah, both logical. They're arguments. both valid arguments, and that they both, uh, logically speaking, they, they, the the pre- the conclusion yeah. follows the premises. Mm-hmm. Um, however, one I think is more sound than the other, and that's Calvinist mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, view. So they don't have inconsistencies, but they have problems. Uh, for example, like every Christian has, no matter where you uh, fall on an issue. Uh, is the problem of evil. How did it come? How did it originate? Um, the problem of man's responsibility in Calvinist uh, view. The problem of free will and Calvinist view. How do you deal with that? Um, you know, because Arminians can say that, you know, man's responsible uh, because he chose to be uh, hurt. He chose mm-hmm. that action. Yeah. Um, they have easy but, answers for some things. Yeah. While Calvinists have to... F- have difficult hurdles they have to hoop to be able to answer something well which is the opposite for uh, armenians is that calvinists have easy answers yeah but then armenians have to jump through hoops to be able to try and answer some of those well yeah and like one of those is the the sovereignty of the lord and his playing out of history um and how do you that's how we talked about earlier about the uh logically would lead to open theism yeah and so um you know you you have you have troubles with with both uh and you have problems with both but I, i'd say they're both pretty consistent as yeah. far as and as i'm yeah. thinking about this stuff as we're talking about it mm-hmm. because we are discussing these things man I, like i said i'm always willing to open and think and mm-hmm. discuss about things and yeah. and when i land on something like i said and i guess you are, are saying as well mm-hmm. as being Calvinist, is saying that the reason you follow this is not because everything lines up perfectly mm-hmm. it's just the problems that you deal with or see are not as big or as I know you wouldn't say they're not as big. You're just saying that you, you would rather have the problems mm. on the Calvinist side than the Armenian side, because yeah. as we're talking about this limited atonement, man, you know, and I have been doing a study on it uh, myself. Like I've been doing yeah. it for my YouTube channel and, uh, just even speaking about it now is making more clear some of the difficulties that I find for limited atonement, man. Mm. So I need to read that book. I got that book on my shelf 
and I haven't even opened it yet. The but Death of Death? No, no, The Extent of the Atonement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, because I, I need to get that Death of Death, but I just it's just so difficult sometimes to think about all of the different aspects that go into play of saying you're specifically one or specifically another. So, yeah, I think, man, maybe we should go ahead and, and jump on to the I, which is Irresistible Grace. We, we already talked about that, didn't we? Well, technically we didn't, but we did yeah. because it always went into uh, everything everything that we played into from total depravity, yeah. unconditional election, yeah. went into irresistible grace. Yeah. But I just want to say one thing on it is that in the eye, the irresistible grace is that we first had, like you said, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, well, actually, I guess maybe I said, I don't know. It's been a while, guys. I don't know. But anyway, is that we had prevenient grace and we had irresistible grace, mm-hmm. which are the two graces that are talked about or understood in both of these respects. Irresistible grace being that when God puts his grace upon you, uh, this salvific grace, then you cannot resist, but it will be effectual. Is that what a lot of people say is effectual grace? That it goes about and having its effect, while prevenient grace is just an opening that gives you the ability to choose. Yeah. But I, I think what's important to understand is the difference between what is grace, mm. especially the salvific grace, because mm. does God not call upon all people's hearts? Mm. Does he not call to give them a, a sense of, hey, you need to, because to, Scripture clearly says many are called mm. and few yeah. are chosen. And yeah. when many, I think that he's actually saying that everybody is called, but only few are chosen, which is a very, very, very difficult Scripture to say that if God calls you, why wouldn't he choose you? Yeah. You know, but... um. So what does it mean when we say this is an effectual grace? Yeah. I can't remember, but I know that uh, I wish I need to look it up. I don't know what that was. But anyway. Yeah, it's a computer. I, I need to, uh, yeah, okay. It was pro- I probably had like a message come through yeah. or something like that. Yeah, you did. But uh, it, 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 makes, it makes me think about what is that effectual mm. call? What does that mean? Yeah. Because if it takes effect, mm. then yeah. We know that, yeah, it's effectual if God calls you and you say yes, mm. you know, you have faith, then that's an effectual call, yeah. which would not be distinguishable mm. between Armenians and yeah. Calvinists. Yeah. But whenever we say irresistible, we're saying that that's a specific one mm. that you cannot deny. Yeah. And John, um, um, John, um, Jonathan Edwards, man, see, I need to, I should have looked that up before I came on the show, yeah. but he had a quote that he used to distinguish the difference between uh, both um, having the Spirit of God come upon you and you resisting and then having the Spirit of God come upon you and you turn into salvation. Mm. And he said that there was a, it was a, a different type of grace yeah. than salvific grace. Yeah. And, you know, for me, uh, I think the better, again, the better uh, naming of this this aspect of Tulip is Instead of irresistible grace, I think more helpful and more clearly uh, distinguish it as effectual calling, mm-hmm. uh, which is what the 1689 Confession calls it, um, you know, is a much better way to, to say that essentially when God calls you, you're going to come. There's no, there's no... See, but then that's the thing, though, is that that, that scripture that I just uh, talked about, this is that many are called, mm-hmm. few are chosen. Yeah. So that makes, that's difficult, you know. What I'm yeah. So like the, the 1689 confession didn't use that scripture in there, did they? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> because no, that's 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 the whole point is yeah. that to say like many are called but few are chosen, and even if you don't say many is everyone, 
still many is a different number than few. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but that, and that's, that went back to my whole idea of thinking about effectual call Mm -hmm. saying that, yeah, it's effectual if you come to salvation. Obviously, everybody's going to say that, you know. But then what is the difference between these graces that come about, man? And that's the one actually I really have the most non-understanding about is, 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 is this one. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead. I know it's getting long, man, and uh, you you, you uh, may need to go somewhere. So let's jump on to the P, which I think is the most divisive probably of all of them because even now we have people that think that uh, – uh, I know you're looking at me all funny, man. Yeah. You know, but it's because there's so many people out here that think you can lose your salvation, man. Yeah. You know? I mean – And even in this one, so the other ones – are like uh, uh, things we think that this is for salvation. Yeah. But this one's not even for salvation. This one's like a result of salvation. Yeah. See, two, T was like uh, before salvation, mm. and then uh, U was before salvation, mm. and then uh, L was like the application of salvation, mm. I was coming to salvation, mm. and then the T is is really after salvation. P. The oh, P. T, I'm sorry, yeah. P. Yeah. I said P, man. T and P just sounded like you got yeah. your you got your, uh, your ears messed up. Wrong. <laughs> but yeah, P is after salvation. I think this one's the toughest one because a yeah. lot of people and this they point to scriptures, especially the Hebrews passages mm. about um about a fall from grace. Yeah, falling from grace. Yeah. Man, what do you think about that? What do you think, Cam? Yeah, well, um, you know, I think that um if God elects you then that election can't be lost. Um, mm, yeah. And and that premise comes from the Calvinist premise. Actually, yeah. it wouldn't actually because election is also in uh, the uh, Armenian. Yeah. But then that and, goes back to, I'm sorry. You get, well, and I mean the five articles of the Remonstrance, actually this was the one where they're like, I don't know where I stand on yeah. this. Uh, there needs to be more reading. Um, but I think that if you look at it, um, if you look at Scripture, there are these these ideas of fall from grace. But when you interpret those those uh, Scripture, and I can't remember the exact Scripture reference, but I know the one you're talking about with the fall from grace. Mm-hmm. That's um, Hebrews chapter ten. Okay, yeah, and uh, it it seems I do remember the context of it. I just don't remember the actual verse. Um, but it it's more so. Uh, and the this idea of a Christian, a professing Christian, but mm-hmm. not an actual Christian, yep. uh, not a confessing Christian, yep. um, who who has fallen away from from the grace of being around others, and really has fallen away from the Christian faith in the sense that he was never a Christian in the first place, um, but he's fallen away from the professing of that that Christian faith. Um, and you know, there's there's better ways to word it, but that's kind of the 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 interpretation of that passage when you look at everything else. Um, but I mean, it's it's the same thing as with the effectual calling. He calls many, but few are chosen, or mm-hmm. many are called, few are chosen. I think that's Matthew twenty two something. Um, it's in uh, I think it's in the Gospels. Yeah, I think it's I think. It, it's in Matthew twenty-two, but um, it was just a joke because oh. you know Jesus spoke in only the Gospels, except in First Corinthians. What do you mean in First Corinthians? Jesus spoke in First Corinthians too. You know, if you if you got a red letter Bible, if you <laughs> look through First uh, Corinthians, there'll be some red letters in there. Mm. 
That's the only place outside of the Gospels. I actually did not know that. Yeah, because yeah. he mean, says, because he quotes, uh, Paul quotes, uh, Jesus says, "This is my my body, which is broken for you." Oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. All right, whatever. I I was about to say. I mean, actually, dude, I'm wrong, man. Revelation. How do I forget Revelation, yeah. Oh, man? Yeah, that's true. Revelation. Jesus comes and talks to the seven churches, man. I guess we're not that good of Christians. We're just hey, good bro. Calvinists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Man, but, dude, um, I thought I made such a revelation, yeah. <laughs> but it, it didn't. I forgot completely about it. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I was about to say. I mean, technically, Christ is speaking throughout all of yeah. scripture. But <laughs> I know that's why like you're looking at me strange. Yeah, you're like, yeah. Well, I mean, the whole Bible ain't the word of God, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But I'm just specifically talking about red letters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's you. The problem with you know perseverance of the saints um i think there's more evidence for this than the contrary of mm-hmm. the conditional preservation of saints which is what arminians are arguing for they're um they're mm-hmm. arguing for uh as long as your faith is maintained uh so it's the persevering faith uh the active living faith and i put that in air quotes uh the mm-hmm. active living faith um that is the condition for the preservation so essentially it's like you have faith because you're persevering and you're persevering because you have faith it's kind of a circular reasoning Mm -hmm. uh kind of deal where um you know it's because you're you're it the condition of your perseverance and the condition of your preservation um of your sainthood of your of your faith is that you have faith Mm -hmm. um yeah, I think uh, that is really uh, what every the proponents of Scripture would say mm-hmm. is that you persevere, mm-hmm. and you persevere in faith. Yeah, and it's you know, by— uh, and I think that's uh, why the term, you know, even though every time you say you like perseverance or preservation, yeah. but I think that's why they use specifically the mm-hmm. term perseverance of the saints is yeah. because in all of these Scriptures, even Christ himself mm-hmm. was saying that it's those who endure to the end— mm-hmm will be yeah. saved. Yeah. You know I, I mean? And perseverance, I think, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with perseverance or preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both of them are helpful in their own respects. I think yeah, for if, sure, definitely. If, you, if you put them together, then you have the idea that um, it's not just their action, but yet they're still uh, mm-hmm. they're still living out their faith. Yeah, they are um, being preserved yeah. by so, Christ. Yeah, and, and by Christ they are persevering as well. Yeah. And so... I I like to put those together. Um, just yeah, I like I it think, too. Yeah, because I th- I think it's it's a little bit more yeah, it's hand accurate. Hand. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think it is yeah. more accurate because it um, is our responsibility. There we go again, man. Dang, it's human responsibility. Yeah, and then God's authorialship. Yeah, if that is that a real word, uh, we we'll have to get Bradley to look at that yeah. again, man. See if authorialship <laughs> is a real word. <laughs> it's not. It's not. He <laughs> oh, gave a thumbs, thumbs down. down on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think that's 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 it, man. I think one of the verses that really strikes me with that is that it's like uh, uh, work out salvation with uh, fear and trembling. It mm. says, but then it's not you who works, but it's God who works in you. Yeah. And so that's me doing something, yeah. but then in the end, it ain't me who's doing it. It's yeah. God. You know, yeah, another not one. Not me, is, but Christ in me. Yeah, yeah. And that's like Corinthians again. It's like Paul says, I labor harder than anybody that I've ever you know known. He says, but it's not even me who does it. Yeah. It's the grace within me. So yeah. it's like. Bro, this is hand in hand. Yeah, it's it's a really hard 
thing that's, that you that is hard for any Christian to understand is how to yeah well, how the crap does that work yeah, yeah. that tension yeah. so I think that's probably why and I said that again that this is the one of the most difficult ones for I think Christians today yeah it's one that comes to mind more often mm-hmm. than maybe irresistible grace yeah. or uh, unlimited atonement or total depravity which I think a lot of people are on total depravity correctly but yeah. I think that. This is one that comes up the most because it is such a hard thing to mm. see the mm. line between when my activeness, yeah. my activity of my faith is what keeps me in Christ versus God's activity in mm. us yeah. that keeps him with him. Yeah, mm. what's funny is I'm a Baptist, so the P doesn't come up much. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. In yeah. Baptist circles, it's like... Well, it's not. It's not preservation of the saints. It's once, once saved, saved, always saved. saved. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which, in a sense, the, it's you know, true. It's but true. in a sense, it's not yeah. true. It's, like, it's just kind of cheesy, corny. Yeah. What is it? What I think the new thing is like truly saved, always saved. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like it's not based on a decision uh, that, like, if you make the decision to be saved, you're never not going to be saved. Yeah. It's not uh, like yeah, I came up to the altar yeah. when I was six years old. Yeah. You know. But it's a, it's a true salvation where God took hold of your heart yeah. and changed you from the inside. And, I mean, James says faith without works is dead. So we, mm-hmm. even as Calvinists, we understand that there's there's some sort of condition of how we know uh, who has faith and mm-hmm. who doesn't. But what we're saying is that um, based on everything else, if you've been elected— then you can't be not elected. Yeah. If you're the elect, then you can't be the yeah. non-elect. You have to yeah. be the elect. Um, yeah. And so uh, with that, you have this idea of you can't lose your salvation. Um, but if you lose your faith, in air quotes once again, if you lose your faith, then, um, then the automatic explanation that you should have is that they never had faith in the first mm-hmm. place. They never had true faith. They were never Saving truly saved. Faith. Yeah, they had. They weren't confessing with their heart, but they were professing with their mouth. Yeah, that's um, in James, man, where it says, uh, "Oh, you believe? Well, even the demons believe." <laughs> yeah, and they tremble, bro. Yeah. yeah. So it's really tough because uh, Jonathan Edwards actually has a sermon about that, and he says that uh, you believe. Well, the devils believe too. He says yeah. they were before God from the very beginning, yeah. and so they know more doctrine, understanding, have a better like like really theology than mm. we would ever have because yeah. they were in his presence. Yeah. And then it says that they trembled. It's like, oh, they even have actions. They even yeah. do active things to yeah. prove that they recognize and mm. know that God is real and they're not saved. They're going yeah. to hell. At least yeah. we hope that they are. You know? yeah. And we believe that they are. Yeah. Is, yeah. Matter of fact, I think Jesus said that, that, that uh, uh, was it Jesus? Or maybe it was just the Bible that preaches mm. that uh, that it was for Satan and his demons. That's what hell was for. It wasn't for us. It was for yeah. Satan and his demons. Yeah. So they're going to hell, man. And so for us to think that just because we know something about God or even act some sort of way because of that knowledge that we're going to heaven, man. You know. And so in the end, I guess, uh, as we close this out, I don't know if you have anything else, but if we close yeah. this out, is that just to remember that all of these things that we're talking about is trying to help us to understand and yeah. know who God is, mm. and how we're saved. Huh? And if 
if you forget everything, because I know we've said some things were definitely unfor- or that were definitely forgettable. I mean, we've forgotten. Yeah, what we <laughs> yeah, said. We, oh yeah. yeah. Cam especially, man. Like halfway oh, yeah. through his talking, he'll forget about it. Oh, so yeah. yeah. So I know we've said some forgettable things, but if you don't, if if there's one thing that I want to get through, or a few things, mm-hmm. is that that God's salvation is based on God alone. Yeah. That He loves us, mm-hmm. which is the most amazing thing. And it says in Ephesians that he loves us with such a lavish love. He loves us, man, mm. that it's nothing that we could have ever done, nothing that we could ever do because we are so evil. It is every intent in our heart is to do evil. It may not be the worst evil, but it's just a little bit evil in every action. But God would still love us, and he would send his son down on the cross that he would send his son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins and that he would uh, he would allow us with his grace that he would allow us to be able to to come to know him, that he would be able to bring us together in him and that we would be redeemed in him. Mm. You know, that's 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 powerful. And to yeah. me, not only that he would be able to redeem in him is that he would continue for us to remain in him that's the biggest thing is that we would remain in him man so i know everybody everybody across all the nations and all across all you know they they understand and fully subscribe to everything that i set up till maybe that last part and so i want you to know with that last part that we will remain in christ yeah and um you know i think we need to understand that both sides are christians um you know, Armenians are saved because Calvinists are right. <laughs> uh, I saw that on a meme. It's not my own original idea. But, um, you know, and we, you know, Arminius was even reformed. And mm-hmm. we all hold to the five solas. You know, mm-hmm. we all hold to sola what scriptura, they, okay, yeah. sola fide, sola But gratia. what does sola even mean, man? It means by scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. Um, solus Christus. In Christ um, alone. Yeah, Christ alone. And then soli Deo Gloria. To God Gloria be the glory alone. alone. Yeah. Um, or Amen. Or to God alone. So uh, both sides are Christian. There's no need to be divisive over these issues. We can talk. We can disagree. Mm-hmm. But we are Christians first and foremost. And we need to stay that way. And we need to mm-hmm. act Christianly. Right. Ultimately... What these five points are supposed to do, they're not supposed to be just points. Um, but as J.A. Metter says in Humble Calvinism, uh, they're supposed to be pointers. They're supposed to point us to Christ. They're supposed mm. to point us to the cross. Yeah. You know, total depravity. We can't do anything. That's it's right. to point us to Christ who could do something. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, unconditional election. It's not by us. It's yeah. to point us to God who can choose us in him yeah. before the foundations of the world mm. um it's limited atonement in that we can't atone for our own sins right. but christ on Only the cross christ did mm. and he's perfect um irresistible grace uh it is not by our own doing uh that we come if god so chooses to call us we will choose him mm-hmm. um and it's by his grace that we have done so by his grace through faith and finally, and not of ourselves. Yeah, but it's a gift of God. Absolutely. And finally, um, that we are persevering in our faith, and that we are seeking to learn more about Him, to think more about Him, mm-hmm. um, and to as to, thinking Christians. Yeah, and to live in a way that. 
glorifies him and honestly honors him and serves him. Um, and so what I'd say is that these five points are not as important as they seem among a lot of people. Yeah. These five points are not as important as Christ, not as important mm. as believing that Christ was a human, mm-hmm. that Christ uh, was a perfect human, that he was both man, both God, um, and that he died on the cross for our sins, whatever mm. that may Amen. look like. Um, Amen. So there's a lot of unity that we need to have in this issue. Um, yeah, for sure. And that we don't, unfortunately. Um, so please, mm. please, if you get nothing else from this, get this. That both Arminians and Calvin uh, Calvinists are Christian, and that both have different views on something, and that we are all imperfect. We are all human. Mm. We all fail. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three, baby. Yeah, and so. But we always got to remember Romans six twenty three. Yeah, but for the wages of sin, sin is death, but the free gift of God. Yeah. Ooh, what a free gift, man! Yeah. What a free gift. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So, uh. We hope that you had fun reflecting on the five points of yes, sir. Uh, Tulip with us. Yeah. Um, we hope that we have been at least a little helpful to y'all. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and hey, and if you got anything to say to us, man, help us to understand a little bit more understanding mm-hmm. or just some things that you think about and how you think about all of these parts of uh, Tulip, man. Hey, go ahead and put some in the comments, man. Let us know yeah. because uh, – we are open-minded, and we want to understand our faith more yeah. because this is what the point is. is not to push an agenda on someone, but to kind of like bounce these ideas off each other. Yeah. So that way, man, maybe if we are thinking wrong, we can think a little bit more mm-hmm. biblically, more soundly in who God is and who Christ is, man. Yeah, and uh, if if you enjoyed listening to us, uh, please check out our next episode. Subscribe, uh, man. Yeah, go <laughs> so, subscribe. Hey, and rate us too. Give yeah. us a thumbs up, a big old thumbs up, man, because do. that does – help a whole lot and we very much will appreciate it check out the next episode where we're talking about history and how christians should approach it so um yeah i guess we'll see you on the next episode y'all have a great day see y'all later thanks for listening to the thinking christian podcast we hope it helped you think a little bit more about the faith god bless you and we'll see you in the next episode